0: Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists well trained and experienced you can keep looking until you find someone that you click with they have customized online therapy they do offer videos but they also offer phone and live chat sessions so you don't even have to be seen you can only be heard what are you waiting for go to betterhelp that's h slash l p.com/stages and for our cast members you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/stages Go, 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 go find your healing. Go find your happy stages podcast is sponsored by better help. That's H E L P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to stages podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Are you talking stuff?
1: I'm about to, you tell me when you're settled. I sure will as soon as I do this. Frankly, I don't think you know what you're doing. To me? Calling her out.
0: <laughs> Calling her out.
1: I think you're winging it.
2: Come at me again because I got it. <laughs> you were saying? Okay, that's the tagline. Come, come through. Let's go. <laughs> come at me again because
0: I at got, me got again. it. <laughs> <laughs> We are so excited (laughs) for the universe to hear our dear, sweet, Kiala, and I'm adding the J. That's like the sisterhood of Kiala J Settle. I first met her back in 2013, and it was during I'm using quotes, award season. But it's the truth of the matter. You had been recognized for like the triple crown of the theater award season. It was Outer Critics, Drama Desk, and Tony nomination for Best Featured Actress playing Norma Valverde on Hands on a Hard Body. And I can still remember myself sitting in that theater and used start your song with this laugh that goes on for like three minutes and it's this incredible build. So it starts organically where her character's barely making a little giggle and it leads to this massive uproarious like gut laugh and the whole audience feels it and the thousand people are laughing by the end of three minutes. It speaks to so much of who you are as a human and an artist and what you bring to the world. Then Believe it or not, you may not remember this, Gala, but you met Mary Lee in Boston when you guys were out of town with Waitress. I brought her to Art to see you and Jesse in Waitress, and you played Becky brilliantly. Brought it to Broadway, and then most of our listeners might know you as Letty Lutz. As Letty Lutz Um, She sang This Is Me People Won the Golden Globe Award for Best Song Academy Award nomination But at the center of this Human is Probably one of the most empathetic people I have ever met she is a woman that says yes to not only small podcasts like this, but to sleeping out on the streets for charities and something close to my heart, which is Covenant House. She just says yes and shows up to life and then tells the truth when she's there. And you leave whatever experience as a better person. And I I bet you at the end of this next hour, after you're done listening, you will feel like you are a better person because of Kiala Settle. Here she is. Ke- Kiala, J, settle. Kiala to stage, please. Kiala, settle to stage. Wow. That makes me nervous. Hi, hi, hi. Don't be nervous because you're everything. You're everything. I know, but that's a lot. You can't put that pressure on an empath. Good Lord.
2: (laughs) Empaths are already feeling the world. They don't need to feel any more of it. When did you know that you were an empath? How old were you? I was really, really young, Probably three or four years old. I remember we were watching, remember when Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom used to play on television? I'm so dating myself. And I feel like I can do that among these friends. You are the youngest of the group. So go, sister, Look, go. Look, I'm just saying, you know what Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was on Sunday evenings. So that was one of the safest things we could watch in the house. And I remember watching just the circle of life, for lack of a better term, happening in front of me and just crying when these helpless animals or reptiles or birds or you know mammals, their lives were taken simply because Mm -hmm. that is the nature of what everything is. And that's when I remember questioning for the first time, why? Why does it have to be like that? Why does it have to be like that? And I should have just gotten help then and there, but I couldn't (laughs) do that. So instead you became an artist. Yeah, yeah. Instead I went to find all the misfits I could possibly find and go me too, guys, let's <laughs> do it. Yeah. That's, I think that's when I knew and that's okay because it witnessed it and I've been a part of it and I've seen how it can, when you're an empath, it, it's very easy for it to destroy who you are, but it's also if you're able to sort of understand it and manage it, because it is something that you have to manage. It can better your life more than anything else in the world. And so you just kind of have to be susceptible to it and know it's ebb and flow because it is an ebb and flow and write it as opposed to trying to harness it. It's yeah. very much just write it. It'll be okay.
1: Do you ever find that as an empath that you confuse what you're actually feeling with what you are empathically feeling by somebody who's, who you're with or who's yeah, passing it's by? Very, or... it's in fact,
2: it's very recent that I've learned what the difference is in the past two years. I learned it Bye. And I'm going to just say it because I'm not, you guys know me on this podcast. I don't know who's listening. Hopefully millions upon billions of people, but they should also know. That's right. um, I had an opportunity to tour with Hugh Jackman, who Steph and I both know um, went on his show in 2019 internationally. And I had just come out of a brain surgery and I was petrified. And being the kind man that he is, he did say, as as I was recuperating and getting my voice back and my speech and my movement, he said, if any of this is scary to you, please tell me. Because not for nothing, he himself is an empath as well. And so it was very nice to meet a fellow human that understands all of those ebbs and flows. And he understands it more than I do in his world and his life. And as I started to tour with him, because I still don't, I still at the time didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. I didn't understand why I felt songs differently, why I felt emotions differently and why I had To and continue to have to express them in a way that people can connect because that's the only way that I know that I can find validation in it. It's better than Prozac. It's better than Effexor. It's better than Zoloft. And it's probably a zillion times cheaper in the long run. You know what I mean? If you just go and watch and then go through the motions, you didn't take a pill. You went through the motions and you shared it with somebody else, whether it was someone next to you, or the entire theater, or if you were even able to send a message to someone, like, you know, you get probably millions of, you know, pieces of fan mail, stuff, and or messages on social media daily as reminders that people are listening and, and touched I think, by you,
1: touched by what yes. you share. Yeah. And
2: the thing is, as is, is that that's when I realized as an empath, I was petrified of delivering the messages I was delivering because people would come back to me and say, You've changed my life. And I'm all, that's awesome. because scared out of my wits.
1: yeah yeah that's the ultimate courage the ultimate courage to ignore that little voice that's saying you know you're different you're strange you shouldn't tell don't do that don't show it and you just did it anyway
2: and still doing it and knowing and having those emotions. And it was that time when I was able to, fortunately, I have a therapist who I love with everything in me. I go into that therapist and say, this is what's happening. Mm. This is how I'm dealing with things, but it doesn't feel healthy. I need homework. Tell me what homework. Give me the tools.
0: Give me some tools. Ready to go.
2: A lot of it is allowing yourself the opportunity to feel it. I've always wanted to connect to the rest of the world because there is a base level of having hope and wanting to understand the way we get there whether it's through the way we were raised or conditioned or not conditioned are all completely different which causes all the different layers of both good and bad but there is a base level and i have learned to not only accept that but learn how to thrive in it i can't thrive in it though unless i can talk, unless i can connect to other people if that makes any
0: sense It makes perfect sense because when I hear you sing or interpret, whether it's a script or a song, there is a great connection. There are so many good singers. And then there's a lot fewer great interpreters and you are an interpreter and that's what connects people. When you listen to a whole crap load of music, but there's something that gives you, Mary Lee likes to call them the truth bumps. I call them chicken skin, but it's truth bumps, right? And all of a sudden you go, Now, why is that person different? Why is that voice touching me in a place that isn't just rolling off and and it's fun and it's ambiance noise and I love driving down the road with it, but is making me stop and think and hear the words
1: differently. And that's you. The intention is outside of yourself. The intention isn't about what you're going to get from the experience. It's about what you're going to give. That's the difference.
2: You're absolutely right. All of that is absolutely correct. And there are a lot of artists. Don't get me wrong. There are so many artists, talented artists, incredible musicians. Their skill set is off the chain and they will be rewarded for it. And they continue to get rewarded for it. That's what they want. That's their reward. they it's also a sacrifice that goes with getting that reward, which I think a lot of people tend to not really see because this is too, there's too much lights and glitter and stuff over on this end. All I know is that learning from the experiences that I've had, I just know that if I hear words from a song or I weep words off of text or, you know, whatever the script may be, Someone wrote that because they felt it. And I, if I'm given the privilege or the opportunity, I get to tell that to somebody else. It's like the most kick ass game of telephone in the world. And if one person answers, if they answer it and they fucking hear it, I'm done. My job is done.
1: I remember hearing once that, you know, you've truly learned something when you have an experience and then you turn around and someone else is asking you for that very answer and you know, you've learned it and now you get to share it.
2: And it's in that moment where they ask you that's when you have one as an empath, you can do one of two things. One, you can run from yourself because without the proper tools, you have run from yourself your whole life because it's too much. I remember growing up saying, I wish I could put a gate on my heart because it's too much. I don't like caring this much. And so throughout the course of my life, I've worked really, really hard to get there, to not be afraid, to live in this space, to live in that heart, to live and understand what all of that means. And once I understand that, like within that space of someone saying, yes, I get what you're saying. I'm coming to you for advice. Instead of running, tapping into that, instead of looking at it as a detriment, but to just look into it and know that you can do that, that you've given yourself the permission to do that.
0: Was there an experience then that turned your heart? Yeah,
2: I'll speak of the most current one. The pandemic happened. And it was bound to happen as we all sit back a year later, a year plus later and look on it. Of course it was going to happen. And with that pandemic came everything. It uprooted everything, everything that we thought we knew. Talk about the hugest of huge ego checks and entitlement checks. That is what the pandemic brought. And not just COVID. I'm talking about systemic racism. I'm talking about uh, inequities all around the board, specifically in this country. So. I realized that because of my upbringing, God bless him, my mother was an immigrant, as as is my father. My mother has since passed away. Um, My mother was originally from New Zealand. She was a native New Zealander and left New Zealand to have a better life, AKA 1970s America. Living in a council house in the late 60s, early 70s, and you had one toilet down the block, You took a bath in a tub in your living room. 1970s America was a better life. And it was, especially for my mom, who's a a daughter from a family of 16. Her mother had passed away and all of her family members had been divided up between different brothers and sisters to be raised because there were so many and her father could not raise them all. So he gave them, because it's cultural, to his sisters, but kept his favorites. And on top of it... My poor mother and father wanted us to assimilate to the American culture so badly because of the dreams and the, you know all of this and all of that. My mother was Mama Rose on crystal meth. None of us had a life, not one. Each child had a job benefiting her.
0: So we didn't have a life till she passed away six years ago. So at home, she wanted you to understand your lineage and where you came from. But when you're, quote unquote, out in the world, she wants you to be the average American. Yes. Yes. Okay.
2: If you think about it, they came from another culture that has nothing to do with this. Nothing
0: at all. And so what do you do? You have kids and you build a human fortress. I'm taking liberties in saying this, but then did you feel as her children that you were her cages around her heart? To be fair, I don't know
2: what my mother's heart is. Yeah. Um, I don't know what a mother is. Hmm. I know she
0: tried. I know she tried. How old was she when she came? Twenty five. So she was just trying to survive. Is that kind of when the arts came into your life? Was it comforting to you to sing? Did you see it as a way of maybe expanding or leaving or a way to process?
2: It was just a way to process. And I realized that I have been afraid of my voice my whole life my whole life because it brought attention to me that i didn't want it was a truth serum every time i opened my mouth i can't lie about it and when i would shut the voice
0: down i'm still over here going fuck 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 i I need to hide because from the outside looking in i go this is her superpower i sit there in awe and admiration and let's be honest jealousy being like How
1: does she do that? You know, what's really interesting is you have this voice that helps you process all these feelings that as an empath, you're trying to sort out because you're a kid and you don't know what all those feelings are because empaths feelings are massive. So here you are processing all that stuff, getting it out with your voice so you can release it out of your body. And it's almost terrifying because then all the emotions that you just brought out by processing come flying back at you. And then as an empath, you're feeling all that again. So it's this giant circle. So you just multiplied, you just compounded all of the emotions that you're trying to categorize. Oh wow, my gosh. Wow. 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 So you have to build these walls between you and the world. But what's really interesting is I wonder if your mom was a like i right. I'm sure she was and and this was her way of protecting herself. She didn't have an opportunity or was
2: given the yeah. freedom or permission wow to understand all of that. Right. Because a culture right. and in the time period the times. right. As well. Both of them she was Mormon. Uh, (gasps) Oh, right, right, right. Just bring it, bring it, bring it, honey, bring it. We're (laughs) bored over here. Bring it. Yeah. So when I wake up, I have ancestors that have never, I've never felt before in my life at the ready, at the ready, just To give me strength or whatever it is, because I know I'm breaking generational curses. I know that I know that I'm doing things that they would have never in millions upon billions of years ever even fathomed to imagine. Have you ever heard
1: of genetic memory?
2: No, but I got it.
1: It's basically the experience of your parents and your grandparents literally get handed down genetically to you. So your body doesn't, it's not your own body's experience. You're experiencing what they experienced. Their guilt and their shame. And so when you heal yourself, you hear your children. And, and that's, that's one of the things like you want to try to be healed before you have children so that you're not passing some of this genetic Uh, memory that may be negative but it's also the positive too there's positive genetic memory yeah Yeah. but you don't want to pass the negative genetic memory down to your children
0: so you get cast as letty and you're thinking holy crap this is pandora's box because you're essentially voicing your entire life and every emotion that you're stating to us right now that is literally the character of letty lutz
2: yeah yeah, and the next day, I remember the first scene we shot for This Is Me. During that day, it was a 16-hour day, and I remember at the end of the day, I wanted to collapse because my body was so tired. I It was almost like a piece That night, I remember I sat down on my doctor's chair because that's the only chair I, they could get me because I was wearing a 25-pound dress, and they had to like sort of back me up, like boop, 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 and put the dress over the doctor's chair that would swivel around. It just felt like a release, again, like we were talking about, of all those things. Because I didn't want to be in front. I never did because my mother kept pushing me in front without asking me, ever. My whole life, she was shoving me in front, saying, dance, pony, do it. Do it for your family. Do it for your culture. You're supposed to do this. You're required to do this. And I still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. But that night, it was a relief because everything that I had ever been afraid of and kept inside I let out on that sort of that circle stage that we had that was on set and I knew there was more to come but I knew that I had to get over that initial day to start that process because it got I mean it was still crazy when I'd have to film because I didn't want to do it I didn't want to so everything you see is actually for real I'm not even acting I'm just so like I'm scared I was absolutely
0: scared because it touched so intimately. Absolutely. To... I didn't want it. That's not okay. my, so Correct. You, you just knew it was going to be an open wound. I'm not showing the world my yeah. open wound, but here, here's, here's a whole creative team that's saying we see something in you. And now we're pushing you much like your mama exactly. pushing you in but front, that's right. saying millions upon millions of people are going to see you push, 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 do this. And they're, whether they knew it or not, we're touching on the most intimate sort of theme in your personal life and asking you to do it professionally. No shit. But yet here we are. And then on the other side of it, are you able to look at that song and say, I looked at you straight in the eye song and I delivered you. And it has literally, whether you want to accept it or not changed peoples whether it's the course of the day or the course of their life. I mean, I am that that woman that will reach out to you early in the morning driving my sweet little precious to school and if she's fearful or feels uncomfortable, we play that song and it makes it fuels her in a way that sets her right to start her day. It's an anthem and here's the deal. This song
2: will always be that way. But what I can do now is understand <laughs> Sorry. My job, should I choose to accept it, is to connect the world through
0: stories. However, I can do that. That is my job. Because it's the calling. It's, a, it's how you have been made. And yes, there's huge responsibility. And I can't imagine what it is to even not only process, but understand and to put in categories, this emotion goes here, this emotion I have to put over here, this emotion I'm actually going to accept and move through the world carrying it. There are levels of a human being, as we all know, and the way that we've lived
2: our lives. We know what was good. We know what was bad. There's so much inner work that has to happen before I can come to a person to say, I know what that feels like. I know it and I recognize it. And I'm glad that it's building you up. And that's where my strength comes from. And I, and it has never been able to be that way because of all the work that I didn't do with myself.
1: It's an affirmation that the work that you did is coming back to you saying you're on the right path. Keep going. Because it helps me. It's more, when I make myself more accessible to myself,
2: anybody else can come in. Anybody, the people that let me in. If I can make myself accessible to me without all the bullshit that can inevitably block our own selves off from ourselves, once that goes, miracles happen.
1: Let me ask you a question about this past year. So being cut off from other people physically having the time to go inward and make new discoveries, which I think a lot of people did this year. I think there's one or one or two sort of types, if you want to blanket it, they either got mired in the negativity or they were like, I'm going on a journey, man. I'm going to go figure out something new. And they tried new things and processed new things. And So for you, being separated from the world that so deeply impacts you all the time, what did you do?
2: I've spent my entire existence, because we are mixed race, Mm -hmm. in New Zealand we and because we were from America we were sort of looked down on from our own culture then you come to America where it's like you don't fit in here
1: (laughs) my husband has a term for that he calls it Mm -hmm. That's
2: that's what I am yeah, That I'm is intrigued. currently what I am. I actually had a really great talk with one of my close, close, close friends. We talked a lot about everything that was happening and laughed and cried. And she said, you know what, babe, you have so many stories that you're so afraid to tell about your own culture and your own life, but people need to hear them. And that was a shift for me. So I had to do a lot of work.
1: And there's a lot of healing in storytelling.
2: Very, very, very much so. I knew that even before all this, at the beginning of the pandemic, I knew that all I had was my voice. So whoever needed it was going to get it. To this day, I still very much feel that way because the COVID-19 showed so many people's asses in so many different ways, and I can't live in that. So I needed to care about myself because I was basic. I was basing all of my value on the rest of the world. And this uncountried person had to find a place to exist, whether it was Mm -hmm. on land or inside. But what I do know is that I wake up every morning knowing that I can succeed. When you go into this type of industry or storytelling, you start to understand that you're not the end product. You are the seedlings that are germinating for other people to see and you'll be long gone. And that's okay. And everything else along the way is extra credit. I actually started writing a book that I don't think is going to be a book anymore. And it was throughout this entire, it actually, I did it from all of the information that I learned about myself this past year. And I wrote this book in six weeks. And it's, and I made it as a choose your own adventure book. I loved it so
0: fun. (laughs) If you want Fiola to win the Academy Award, please turn to page 139. (laughs) If you feel there's more for her to learn, turn to page. Yeah, exactly. You go back. Go back to page six. Go back to
2: page six. So I wrote all these different stories about quests, and it was all about my life. Basically, me against my voice and learning to understand what that means because once i can understand that which i'm starting to i can understand the rest of the world and the only way that i can do that is to make sure that i can open up enough to take that information in and the only way that i can take that information in is to work on all this other bullshit that holds this person that's inside here back once that is gone and dealt with because it'll never go away It will always be there. It's just now you don't get my power and I get to move forward and there's a door that's open.
1: So we're talking a lot about all of the emotional work that you've had to do as an empath, but do you mind talking a little bit about the physical work you had to do after your stroke? Do you mind speaking to that a little bit?
2: So about eight days before the Oscars, 2018, I had a stroke. It was a transient ischemic attack as I was doing a video for the Oscars because it was a transient ischemic attack, it was a fast stroke. And I got all of my feeling back on the right side of my body 10, 15 minutes later. Then I went to an ICU where um, I was asleep and I could hear they were trying to fill me with water and saline because I was completely dehydrated. I'd just come back from the Graham Norton show from touring Tokyo for Greatest Showman and then right. doing the Ellen DeGeneres show in the afternoon and then going to the Costume Designer Awards to present. And I was broke I was in the ICU and all I could hear was my own voice coming at me from the TV. And I was like, where the fuck is that coming from? And the, t- and the nurse comes over and she goes, I love this song. And I woke up, I was like, can you please turn that off? Because she didn't know you were the voice. Okay. That day happened. Then the next day they did our costume fitting on the stroke floor uh, for the two dresses for the Oscars that weekend, because it was the week of the Oscars. Um, Hugh and Deb were calling me every day saying, hey, are you going to be okay? I was like, bitch, I'm doing this. This is the only obligation that I cared about. And I'm going to do it come hell or high water. And then I went to another doctor on Wednesday to get a second opinion with all of my tests and stuff that I had on a CD. Good news! I was like, great. He goes, because it's Wednesday and I'm singing on Sunday. He goes, good news, you have Moya Moya syndrome or Moya Moya disease grade two. I'm all, okay, what does that mean? He goes, well, we can give you corrective surgery for it. And I'm like, that's awesome. I've got to do this gig on Sunday. Can we talk about it next week? He goes, absolutely i'm like great so i go back do rehearsals i have i try to sing for the first time since my stroke it was fine good enough whatever get through the weekend sing the song if you go back, which I don't want you to, but I'm just saying, if you go back and watch that um, performance, you'll see all this blue stuff on my arm. It's because my <sighs> arm was bruised. But they were trying to put uh, find a bang, and they couldn't find it because I was oh, so...
0: Yeah. Um, so then, You were masterful, though. This is wild.
2: So the lights came down. All, the only person I saw was Viola Davis pop-up, and one of her sleeves was all... She was like, yes! Yeah! I was like, hey! And then when the lights went down, and we cut to commercial all of the stagehands because they knew Hugh Jackman yeah. and he called ahead saying can you please look after this bitch they all came out and carried me off with bottles of water because all I could do was drink bottles of water because I was on seizure medication
0: and blood thinners because I couldn't stre- I couldn't stroke but out of not it not to mention like adrenaline from singing center stage at the Academy Awards I right. can't imagine and all 20th century foxes around going, How are you doing? Knowing
2: full well what happened. They all knew what well, had happened. I'm like, How much time <laughs> you got? You no? Know? Okay, great. Have a, have a good one. So when I walked off that stage, I was ready to go home. And we were walking towards the green room. Dame Helen Mirren was at the bar. And she goes, Oh, my darling, you were magnificent. Gave me a hug. I was like, Oh, my God, you're Dame Helen Mirren. And then I went, I'm going to leave like I'm done. And they wouldn't let me leave because they were like, well, let's just wait and see when you lose. I was like, great, fine. I'll just wait here. Cause my, at at that point, the obligation, had that's been right. Completed. You did your task, you did it well. And now it's time mm-hmm. to take care Talk of you. About yeah. Logistically putting it. So yeah. And I did that all the way up to, cause I had two other events I had to do after the Oscars. So I had to wait two weeks before I could actually get in to start pre-op and three oh days God. before I went into the hospital, that's when it hit. And then when it was done, two days later, I was like, let's go. Wow. couldn't even say let's go.
0: Oh man.
2: And that's when it sunk in that I was like,
1: wow. fuck." How long was that recovery back to full speech and full movement and all that?
2: Total, probably two, two and a half months. I couldn't talk, couldn't write, couldn't, I had to learn how to do all that stuff again. And one of the exercises I had to do was write a song from memory that I knew. Write it every day, no contractions, no shortcuts, write it every single day. Can we oh. ask what song that was that she was would Feed Real- the Birds. Oh <laughs> mm. no, I'm
0: gonna cry. <laughs>
2: So every day I wrote early each day to the steps of St. Paul's, the little old bird woman comes every day for two months so that I could remember how to write in cursive again. In her own special way to the people she calls, come buy my bags full of crumbs. And I got to share that story with Richard Sherman because the Academy had Mm. asked me to sing for an event and I was singing small world and I was opening the show and I was singing it as a ballad as it was originally written. Yeah. And it was the first song right out the gate that I had sung since my surgery. So I was petrified. I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to do it, but, um, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience to be able to actually relay that story to him as well. But what a
0: perfect song for the first thing to come out of your mouth, you know, world of laughter, world of tears. It's Disney. It's, it's just that, man, if I could choose your own adventure, I'd be like, if you want her to sing, it's a small world. Turn to page and that's where I would go. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And now it's time
1: for the five questions.
0: We end every podcast with five five same questions for every guest. We can't thank you enough. If heaven exists. That no, well, they're a little more lighter. Heaven exists light. Okay. Okay, great. Great, great, great. So I'll start with, can you tell us something surprising about yourself that not many people know? I love to bake. I love to bake. I love the science of it.
1: What's your favorite thing to bake?
2: My favorite thing to bake is any kind of bread. It's the hardest thing for me to do and
0: not sourdough. Fuck that shit. The stuff that you're not supposed to eat. Sourdough is some high maintenance bread. You gotta feed it and knead it and wait three hours, and then go back and feed it some more, and then wait three hours. And they're like, "You see this baggie in someone's fridge? You're like, how long you've had that? Nineteen years? What? Yeah, that's the beginning yeast that someone handed down to me. You're like, move on from the sour. You're getting <laughs> a bug. You're saving a bug
2: from your family a hundred years ago. I have a friend of mine who has a hundred year old bug in the freezer and she busts that shit out and goes oh we're making bread oh bye girl see you later (laughs) because I, I can't and the reason why I love baking is because I'm realizing just how much of it requires patience on the baker's part because not only do you have to wait again sourdough wait five years whatever you also have to once you finally get the dough or get whatever you're working on there's a method to it you actually have to handle it with care and You know, it's, I mean, not like it's a diamond, but there's a, there's methods to every single one of them. And that's what I love. If
1: you could have any talent or ability, what would it be? Could be supernatural, anything. I would love to
2: play the violin. Yeah. I would love to play the violin. It's always about storytelling for me. And that instrument
0: is just, just incredible. All right. If you were to go back and look at your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself? be patient.
2: And in the end, the race is only with yourself. Hmm. So just be
1: patient. Do you have a good luck charm or a ritual that you do before you're doing something important or performing or?
2: I do actually. Right before I go on stage, because I know it's not in my hands, I give it up to the universe and kind of go, okay, whatever happens, happens to myself. Like I'll stand there in the wings and just go, all right.
0: And release it. it. That's great. Mm-hmm. I need to use more of that. <clears throat> all right. This is the toughest question. We leave the last one for you to really ponder, lady. Oh, good. If you were a nail polish color, what would that color be? And what's the sort of, you know, sassy name you would give it? Oh, hey, what a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so the nail
2: color would be Unafraid. And the U and the UN would be in parentheses. Have you thought about that, or did you just make that up? I just made it up. And the color would be a <laughs> a glittery crimson red.
1: Unafraid, so good, isn't it? And you know what's funny, though? It's like uncountryed. Yeah, un is your thing. Yeah, you are undescribable. Yeah, she is Un- unstoppable, Unbelievable.
0: unstoppable. Mm. Okay. Okay. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> Thank you for your
0: time. Thank you for your Thank person. You. We love you. We are grateful. I love you. Thank you again.
1: Thank you. And now here's what struck a chord with us. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot slash stages and love where you are now.
0: I got to tell you, there were several things that Kiala spoke on that really got me right in the gut. But the image of her having a costume fitting in the hospital was so... I don't know. As a performer, I just think sometimes we put ourselves to the side because our goal is where we're headed. But here's a woman who, it wasn't something minor. She had a stroke and yet she's looking ahead toward the Academy Awards, which is no little thing I get, but to know that she was still barely healing and willing to bring in you know, designers, so she could try on dresses. And I just wanted to give Kiala a massive hug and say, you know what, the patience that you give your bread, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish exactly you what could thought. give your, yourself. I too don't know. I mean, this is certainly not me schooling her or if I was in her position. I might do the same thing because you're looking ahead and you're seeing singing at the Academy Awards. This is a one, well, not for her, but for many, it would be a once in a lifetime chance. But man, what we do to ourselves sometimes, or what we would do for somebody else is not how we necessarily would treat ourselves. And
1: that really hit me right in the gut. Yeah, I totally, I thought the same exact thing. She gets lost in her dedication, to right. her craft, and is is that the empathy part? Because yeah. it's not ego, right? I no. think in her mind, she's like,
0: I have to because I can't disappoint. I can't let them down. I have to be there to to be the storyteller and the translator. Because um, it certainly didn't feel
1: like ego in any way when she was telling the story. Yeah, she's dedicated to what she wants to give to everybody else. And I think we even talked about that in the episode, that it wasn't about her experience. It was about the experience that she wants to give. And that's, I mean, from the second she greeted us, it was like she had this giant heart that was so open to laughter, to tears. And it was so generous with her most intimate parts of herself. And yeah. that's so daring and brave. And I really thought she was just incredible. And then when we talked about about the genetic memory, which I think is a really fascinating thing with her too. And
0: I want to know more. So without taking up like a crazy amount of time, will you teach yeah. me and our listeners a little bit more about what that is?
1: I mean, I, I am not a scientist, but what I understand of genetic memory is this. Genetic memory is present at birth, and then it gets incorporated into the genomes in our body. And so our memories are actually passed down through the generations through epigenetic inheritance. So sometimes the things that you think or feel or a talent that you have began from your great, great grandmother and was passed down. Her What she lived passed down to her daughter, who then lived her own experience, colored by her mother's experience, and then gets passed down to you. I think it's completely fascinating. We have kind of an experience in our life that we were like, this has to be epigenetic memory. Uh, I have a son, as we all know, and he never cared about sports, wasn't interested in joining all these teams. And then one day when he was 12, out of nowhere, came up to me and said, uh, I want to be a boxer. He on his own found a gym. He, from the second he walked through the door was in love. He worked so hard. He went there four nights a week, worked like a maniac. Now he's competing and he's one of the best fighters in the gym. So when all this started, I said to my mom, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, we don't watch boxing on TV. We don't know any boxers. Like, I don't understand where this came from. And my mom said, well, you know, your great uncle was a really famous boxer. I was like, what? And she said, your grandfather's brother was the middleweight champion for a short time and then was Rocky Marciano's coach. Oh, my gosh. And not only that, his name was Sabino. Come on. and Yeah. Come on. And your son is Seb. And my son is Seb. So he changed his name to Sammy Fuller, but his name was Sabino Ferrullo. I mean, if that wasn't genetic memory, I don't know what was. Right. Do you know what?
0: It instantly hits my mind, which is something when I was pregnant, I found out at a doctor's appointment. I said, are you kidding me? So- when you're pregnant with your child, if it is a a girl baby in there, right, who have all the girl medical parts, you're also carrying your grandchildren because... That as soon as that little baby starts to form and they have a uterus and a womb, they already start developing the eggs for your grandchildren. So you're essentially carrying your daughter and your grandchild or grandchildren. So maybe when you were in your mama's womb, right? You're there, you have little Seb in there somewhere and she's talking to your grandpa or your great uncle and that conversation is already stirring within you and yeah. then subsequently in him. Isn't yeah. that
1: something? I think it's it so, it really does. And I think it's so fascinating because the experiences that we give our children are not just for our children. Mm-hmm. They're for our grandchildren and our great grandchildren and all of those experiences that, that we give live on. I just think that's so beautiful. And Kiala embodies her mother and her
0: mother's mother and her father's mother and father. And yeah, that was, was really
1: something. It was amazing. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today.
0: We hope you come back next week.